This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. And this is also a chance for me to show and prove to myself, which I I knew, but like it's nothing like actually doing it, that I'm a leading lady and that I have that capability to lead as not just an actor, but putting on the hat of a producer as well and being still a mother and a wife-to-be, like still taking care of my own household. Like I can juggle it. I can do it. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Danielle Brooks got her big break as Tasty, the lovable natural-born leader in Orange is a New Black. That character was only meant to appear in a few episodes, but wound up becoming the anchor for one of the show's most poignant story arcs. But it shouldn't be a surprise that Danielle's talent stretched a bit part into a featured role. She's always had leading lady potential, and she's proving just that with her starring role as gospel legend Mahalia Jackson. In the Lifetime biopic, Danielle beautifully embodies the groundbreaking singer and civil rights icon both in action and in voice. It's a role that feels custom made for Danielle, partly because she had a crucial hand in shaping the story as a co-executive producer. In this episode, Danielle explains how she proved her leading lady abilities both in front of and behind the camera, why she almost turned down Orange is a New Black, and the balance of fame and craft. Awesome. All right. Well, hello, Danielle. Hello. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, please. Come on now. No. I feel like, what was I watching the other day where someone was like, you know, if you keep saying like, thank you, thank you, no, thank you. They're just like, just say you're welcome. Because so, it's just like, it can go on for so long. So I welcome me, welcome you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like I, I want to know for you, because I always love taking it back to the beginning. So for you, I mean, at what point in your upbringing did acting come into focus for you well church mm. <laughs> um, so my mother is a minister my father's a deacon in the church and i grew up in south carolina a small town called simpsonville and i moved there when i was four years old from georgia and my church community you know would do as most church communities do like church plays and nativity plays and so I was asked to be baby girl at six years old in the church play. And everyone afterwards kept saying, she's so good. She's so good. And so my mom just found every arts program to put me in, in Greenville. That was, that's the city. And so I would do children's theater around and, and I would change from like going to a regular middle school to an arts middle school, regular high school to an arts high school. So literally everything she could find. And I got in trouble a lot for talking in school. You know. So, uh, <laughs> I know, can you believe it? <laughs> so she had to find somewhere for me to channel that energy, but it started with the church. Hmm. And I guess what, what clicked for you personally, because you know, I remember being in plays when I was young. I remember we put on a fantastic play in sixth grade where I played Martin Luther King Jr. and a member of NSYNC. Yes. It was a time-traveling play. <laughs> <laughs> My school at the time only had, like, two black 
guys in the class, so it's either going to be me or Jonathan McDonald. So, yeah, yeah but, but I'm not an actor. So for you, like, it's one thing to, 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 to have a parent or a guardian, like, nurture, you know, artistic endeavors, but it's another thing to go on and win Grammys and be nominated for SAG Awards. And so for you, like, yeah. what, what was it that clicked about performing that said, like, I actually want <clears throat> to pursue this? So when I was little, probably like 11 years old, I had auditioned for the Apollo Theater's kids, you know, contest three times. This mm. was my third time. And they came to the mall, Greenville Mall, and they would audition these kids to go to the Apollo. And I didn't get it. For the third time, I was told no. And I remember walking to the car and my dad was trying to encourage me. And he said, Danielle, through his encouragement, he was saying, Danielle, you know, only one in a thousand people get a chance to do something like that. And I was like, well, I want to be one of those one in a thousand, daddy. <laughs> I, in my head, I was like, I can be that. <laughs> and so I think that's where the drive happened. I kind of always felt, whether it be true or not, that I was kind of an underdog. Like I might not always hit the mark the first time, but the second time I'm coming swinging. And so I, I kind of just always felt like I had something to prove, like because I knew that I had a gift to share and I knew mm -hmm. that I had something there. So I just never gave up. I, I think from that moment on, I was like, I have to, try. I, I know that I can be that. So I'm going to continue to try to find the people in my life that are going to say yes. Oh, I love that. And, you know, you obviously fought your way <laughs> to Juilliard, which is huge, you know, and that's a school that obviously looks great on a resume, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee success. So no. what were those years, those first years for you out of school, like what was that? What was that initial hustle like for you? Like once well, you, <laughs> it was real. I was walking around this house, and I'm in Vancouver. I was walking around this beautiful home that I'm renting right now, and I was like, few, like a few years ago, not that long not ago. It wasn't I, that long like, ago, right? 2000. I graduated school in 2011. We're in 2021. Ten years ago, my life was completely different. <laughs> it was a struggle. I came out of school, gotten the agent that I wanted to get, which was a blessing. But like you said, you are so on point with that. Just because you come from some big conservatory does not mean that you're going to work right away. And I always feel that actor years are like dog years because you hear to know so much, it feels like forever. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know the ratio between human and dog years, but that's what it feels like. Even though I had been a year out before I booked my first major job, it felt like <laughs> 17 years before <laughs> Yes! And I didn't get it at first because I, you know, I would come in and I was like, I worked so hard, which I did, but I was of like, course. I worked so hard and it took me so long to get here. People be looking at me like, child, I'm 50. What you mean it took me so long? So I, it, I got mindful of, you know, my blessings there, but my parents supported me as much as they could. But once I graduated, they very much were like, you got this girl. Like, it's your time to pave your own way. So you know, I was able to find jobs that supported when this is what I just told my little brother the other day, like staying 
solid and staying staying committed to whatever job you have to do so that it can serve the thing that you love. Mm -hmm. And so I did very odd jobs. You know, I worked at a restaurant that I I was horrible server, but I just put on a smile (laughs) and acted my way through it. I was a dog walker and I'm not even a dog person. I (laughs) was a typist for an elderly lady. She needed her notes typed for something are you a good typist <laughs> yes I okay good am. okay i'm a mad good type. that i'm actually good at. one out of three uh, ain't bad <laughs> but you know i hustled in new york babysat i like hustled but i found jobs that allowed there was a fluidity that i could work around with timing mm-hmm. like i like so when if i had an audition at some random time i could pop in and do that and i remember creating these little folders of money so like if i say i made like 25 dollars typing for the lady okay i put 20 dollars in for rent and then i'll put five dollars into you know um transportation and i would just start building and building and building and building until i made my money for the month right and you know your your big break obviously was orange is a new black but it wasn't like you were entering a show at its height. I mean, it was a show that no one had heard of. It was a brand new show. <laughs> Netflix wasn't what it was no. back then. So when you think back to where the show started and what it became, I mean, is there any takeaway there for you? Because, you know, I'm sure as an actor, you're just grateful to be working, but it, it wasn't a guarantee. I mean, it wasn't going to be a guaranteed hit. It wasn't going to be. Yeah. And you were only supposed to be like, you know, in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Wind up being like, you know, a, a lead. So yeah. I guess like when you think back to, you know, that show, like what it was when you entered it and what it became, I mean, what what lesson is there in there for you? What takeaway do you have, especially now that you have some distance from it, now that it's, you know, over? Yeah, I think it is, again, it's trusting the path because mm. I almost didn't take Orange is the New Black because what do you, I was what do you have going on <laughs> I well I actually this is God was like you know I was starting to work a little bit so okay okay well, I was shut me up all right <laughs> no, I, was, I was working in theater so I was doing regional theater and that's the thing like people think everybody wants fame that was never my outcome and goal I wanted mm. to always be respected for my work number mm. one but fame was never the thing for me. So I was cool going down regional theater path. Like I was cool with like making a steady, nice check that I felt I could, you know, support myself, you know, and maybe at the time I wasn't dreaming big enough, maybe because I felt like I had to like lay these bricks a certain way from what I've seen other celebrities that I admire, like Viola Davis and like, Mm -hmm. just, I know that it takes time. And so for me, I was so happy and content with doing my regional theater. And so we were supposed to go to another place because it was touring. We were supposed to go to another place. And I had gotten this call to audition for Orange is the New Black. And I I had two weeks in between or two, three weeks in between going to the next place. We were on hiatus. And so I auditioned and I got it, which I was super excited about. But in this description, it says that I'm topless. <laughs> and remember, I'm a church girl. So, <laughs> I and I'm 21. So yeah. I'm like, what is you don't this? want that following you, following you around. Thing doing like, don't nobody know me. You want me to be naked? What? 
Coming out the gate with headlights on. Right, right. Your mom, Christian folks, like, what is she doing? Crutching their pearls, you know? So I was like, this ain't, this not the business, right? So I legit went to all of the people in the industry that I trusted at the time, like head of Juilliard, Kathy Hood. And like, I was going to um, casting directors that, I had built relationships with this thing. Is this going to mess up my career? And I'm like, girl, if you don't go do that job. So <laughs> I, that's really the way in which I got in. Because I, I was also like worried about playing a stereotype and mm. all these things. And, um, but I did it. And I did it because I talked to my parents and my father said, trust your gut. Go with what your heart is telling you. And when I discovered that I wasn't going to be playing a stereotype, that they were going to delve into that's the other thing connections because marco ramirez he's a writer mm-hmm. was writing on um orange is a new black and so i got to hit him up because he went to juilliard for playwriting so mm. i got to hit him up and i was like yo what's this i don't know about this bro <laughs> and um and he he assured me that they weren't gonna be like like we were gonna get to flesh out who these women mm-hmm. were so i decided to take it and um, I trusted the process and it completely changed my life. So I guess it's also on the other end, it's like as much as I didn't want them to judge, you know, my character, judge a book by his cover. I'm glad I didn't judge the show by the cover too, because like you said, Netflix was not Netflix at the time at all. We were saying it was a web series at the time, we weren't even allowed to use the word binge watching. They didn't even want us to say that word. They, it, they thought it was a negative thing, which now is all we do. And um, and just there was a lot of things that, you know, I, had I just judged it and said, oh, okay, this is cute, but this is not moving the needle. I would be... I don't want to. Can I call you? I can call you KC. Of course. Okay. I um. I would have. I, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> you'd be. You would be, be doing. You would be climbing. theater queen. I mean, you would. You would have been just fine. I mean, come on. I feel oh, like no, I Claire. do think so. Come I, on now. Oh no! God, I, look, the good thing is we don't have to think about it. It true, ha- true. It <laughs> you know what, Wusa, bring it back. We don't have to worry about that. We can just like stay focused yes. on the present. Yes. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Danielle dives into her role as the queen of gospel and how she's finding her footing as a leading lady. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I want to talk about your role as gospel legend Mahalia Jackson in this Lifetime biopic, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, how did this role come about for you? Was it something that you saw for yourself before being cast? Well, so when I was in The Color Purple, (laughs) it's so funny because I said this. So Jennifer Hudson actually came to my dressing room. She would come to my dressing room like every every day like before she came on stage she just kind of pop in give me some advice just say something just have a girl moment and so um one day she came in and she said you know you sound like Mahalia Jackson you should play her one day 
And the funny thing is, I talked to her like a few months ago. She don't remember this story. But that's okay <laughs> because sometimes people are there to be the messenger. Like some people are there to drop that message and move on in their life. But mm-hmm. it can change your life completely. And that's what it was. And so she did that. Later, she leaves. Jennifer Holiday comes in and she says the same thing. She says, you sound like my head. I was so okay then. Lord, what you trying to tell me? <laughs> so that bug was planted, that seed was planted. I was like, I if I was to do a biopic, this makes sense. Because she is based in faith. I'm based in faith. She's a singer. I like to sing. She just every look, um, the the general details of who she was made sense to me. But when I started to to do more research on her, I was very much like, let's do this because I the the thing about her is I always joke that she probably had a really good publicist back in the day because you can't really find no juice about her. But she's a human being. Right. And so there are things that weren't perfect in her world. Mm-hmm. And I like to highlight that, especially as a Christian myself. It's like, I ain't perfect. My mom mm-hmm. ain't perfect. My dad. No one is perfect. So let's talk about like what makes someone a person and a human and you know, and how they continue to move through the world when they have adversity. And so that was interesting to me. Your director for the film was Kenny Leon, who also directed you in a stage version of Much Ado About Nothing. And you have Good Morning America anchor Robin Roberts as the executive producer. So when you were brought in as Mahalia, where did you take from there? How did you sort of find your voice in this room of creatives? You know, I had a lot of decision making to do because I had actually gotten another offer to play Mahalia and I was going on that journey. But letting God lead the way, letting God lead the way, you know, and to get out of my head and what things are supposed to look like. Um, and just really just follow, follow your spirit, you know, and your gut again, what my dad told me, follow your gut. So I was like, you know what, this is the way to go. So you got a separate uh, offer. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and what was, was different about the offer from Kenny and it going to Lifetime and working with Robin Roberts? Like, um, we had to develop it ourselves. Like we, like we had a script that we had to do the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. and it was not coming together. Gotcha. You know, it, it should have, of course, but it was not. It wasn't coming together. The glue wasn't sticking. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing about Robin Roberts, they had they had also had a script. And um, they had a home for it. Mm-hmm. And so it was lifetime. And the thing that I remembered was there were so many women that I had looked up to and still do look up to that have done lifetime movies. Mm-hmm. Angela Bassett, Viola Davis. I mean, you know the list. I interviewed Angela for directing Whitney. Oh, wow. Which was actually really good. I feel like that movie didn't get, like, it's just through with Yaya DeCosta. I, I thought it was great. <laughs> too like and that's the that's the part that i was talking about casey of like where how you see it in your head of how you Mm -hmm. want it to look because that's i agree with you there are some movies out here that are just not getting any love or being seen and and i just had to remember like why am i doing this you know Mm -hmm. and the two things that I, i have to do it for my own growth as an artist you know 
but it's also for Mahalia. That's mm-hmm. what my purpose was. It's for her. It's for a Black woman who was known as the queen of gospel music, the queen, like how Aretha was, the mm-hmm. queen of gospel music who moved this this America, like the fabric of America changed because of her, you know, the, the, the just all of the things that she was able to accomplish in her relationship with Martin Luther King and, and him listening to this Black woman tell him Tell them about the dream and, and that be the most Googled, you know, historical speech that, you know, everyone knows and has affected everyone in some kind of way. Just who she was. I didn't want that to be forgotten. And so um, as long as I'm doing those two things, it don't matter where you do it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so uh, I, I just wanted to stay true to that. And, uh, and I love Kenny so much. Like, I love working with him and we trust each other in a way I've actually never trusted any director before. And I think I can say vice versa. And so we have a really good chemistry together. And so I trusted him, you know, during this process to make the best movie we could make in a pandemic with a low budget and you know, with all of the odds against us because of the COVID rules. Mm-hmm. So I think we, I'm proud of what we did. You should uh, be. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm I mean, proud of it. And so, you know, I hope people watch it. But if they don't, like, at least I can say, I, I've, you know, I was able to do, to push myself as an artist and I was able to remind people of Mahalia. And, you know, you you actually came you were added on as like a co-executive producer. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is which is amazing. And so, I mean, what were some of those creative choices that you advocated for? Like, how did you help shape this project? Thank you, Casey. I like talking to you. I mean, likewise. <laughs> Come on. Really good. So, normally, I actually like interviews. Uh, they just stress me out. But I feel like I can just have a conversation and you're listening. And I'm like, I mean, we just, I really. That's my job. Nice. I'm here. I, that is my job. I know, job. but Thank a lot of people ain't good at your job, <laughs> believe it or not. But so I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, but yes, co executing executive producing so yeah this was cool because i had done a lot of it producing before but it was the first time like my hand was on the plow as i had a say and they were being it was being executed and so a lot of that had to do primarily with the script because unfortunately right before we were about to start our writer passed away Oh, no. So it was very unfortunate. She passed away from cancer. She actually had written Bessie Smith that Queen Latifah starred in. Yeah, the HBO one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wrote that. So Kenny had brought on this amazing guy, Todd Kreidler. And the thing is, he's a guy. (laughs) But he's a cool guy. I was about to ask. All right. (laughs) You know, I, I, I rock with him. So um, they really allowed my voice into the space. And I had my every scene, you know, I would be like, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. But the (laughs) biggest thing was the hysterectomy scene. So there wasn't that in, it wasn't in the script. Mm. And um, I was doing so much research as well as Todd and Kenny too. But 
one of the things that stuck out to me was her desire to be a mother. And I had just had Freya, my daughter, and, um, you know, when you're, when you're going through the maternity process, you hear so many stories. You know, you're searching for so many stories because you have fear, you're nervous, you don't know what to expect. And you, every, it's, it's, I ain't never heard no burden story that was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I just popped the child out and it was so pleasant. No, it's not So I just felt like this was our opportunity to allow the the black woman's experience to motherhood to be in the room like like let's talk about it you know and I don't think we do that enough especially a woman of that time who represents my great-grandmother and all of the struggles that they were dealing with medical industry using us being experiments yeah 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 like the the Tuskegee syphilis case Mm -hmm. you know that alone is just like mind-blowing to me that right. they would just experiment on us like that, not even say anything, or even like this it's crazy. Yeah. And there were so many cases of things like that happening. And I even feel like it probably happened with the hysterectomies, you know, and now it's much different. But at the time that's a bit that was an even bigger deal. You know, obviously this is, you know, you have you have so many other, you know, projects ahead of you in your career, but it seems like this this one in particular had some some resonance for you, some meaning for you on, on a multiple level. So how would you say that this experience of making this film shaped you as an actor? I think this has allowed me to say thank you to all of the people that have helped me to get where I am. I have a long way to go. I'm not, I haven't hit any pinnacle yet. You know, I, I've been successful, but I'm, I have a, a ways to go and I pray for longevity in this in this business. And this is also a chance for me to show and prove to myself, which I I knew, but like, it's nothing mm. like actually doing it, that I'm a leading lady and that I have that capability to lead uh, as not just an actor, but putting on the hat of a producer as well and being still a mother and a wife-to-be, like still taking care of my own household. Like I can juggle it, I can do it. So those were things that I learned about myself. And also, again, as I guess, like I was saying, it must be the theme of what we're talking about, but following my spirit and following my gut when it comes to the projects that I choose to do. And not always, sometimes it will be about financial Mm -hmm. things, but not making it about that. Like really, I'm at that point, continue to choose things that, will move me forward, will move our community forward, will move women who want to do this forward and keeping that at the helm of it and not mm-hmm. it always be about being seen um, and, you know, being make, this got to make me a star. You know, like what we were talking about earlier, just continuing to mm-hmm. gain the respect of being a right. good artist. That's what matters to me more so than the fame. Mm-hmm. Right, and so you know, I love I love ending this podcast with you know the same question because I love always hearing people's different answers. So, at this point in your career, how have you come to define creativity? Oh Lord, you want to be <laughs> But I 
would say I think creativity is when you allow your 10-year-old self in the room. Mm. That is what it is to me. When you allow, like, because that's where you, like, to me, when you're 10, you don't care what people think. You are allowing your imagination to run free and wild. Nobody cannot tell you (laughs) that you can't do anything, that you can't be in Jupiter one day and be in a jungle the next day. Like there's just, there's no limitation, Mm. you know? And I think that's what creativity too is when you, when you don't allow any limitations on, you know, whatever you're working on or who you are, you know, I think that's what it is for me is allowing your, and I would probably even go younger than 10 year old, but like allowing your five year old self to Mm. just be present. Oh my God, Danielle, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a pleasure. And, you know, congratulations again on the film. It's just phenomenal. And I cannot wait to see what you do next. I'm eagerly awaiting. Peacemaker is going to be so good. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. As always, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And I'll see you soon.